You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. This episode is brought to you by Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class is an online video platform geared towards making you a better hunter. Watch instructional videos taught by hunting experts like Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, and Corey Jacobson. After the hunt, learn how to prepare your harvest from world-class wild game chefs like Hank Shaw and Jamie Tajan. Whether it's your first year hunting or you grew up doing it, Outdoor Class will take your skills up a notch. Use code EMPIRE20 at checkout to save 20% off. Visit OutdoorClass.com to learn more. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. Happy hump day, everybody, and welcome to your hump day version and i believe what's the date today let me look ahead november 30th november 30th so we are knocking on the door here in iowa of the shotgun season right so i think this this coming weekend kicks off uh, first season shotgun here in iowa and then we have like a three-day hold or two or three-day hold and then we kick off a two-week second season shotgun uh, after that. And so this is where, as a bow hunter, um, you know, I uh, good luck to all of the people going out and trying to get it done. But on the farms that I hunt, the shotgun hunters come into it. They do their deer drives, and pretty much the deer on those properties just they just it just leaves. And so it sucks <laughs> because uh, if I like just the options on my main farm for a late season are really tough. One, because all of the crops are out and there's a really efficient combine that comes through. And uh, the next thing is that there's just so much gun pressure. And uh, I can remember in the past every morning and every afternoon throughout the three week uh, shotgun season period there is a uh, there's deer drives went through it and there's just nothing left on the property to hunt late season so you gotta you gotta go out and you gotta try to find the late season opportunities and i'm lucky this year that i'm, I'm gonna have one on a on a different different farm even though it's uh, a handful of uh a handful of hours away from where i currently live but to all the the gun hunters out there good luck and that is what today's episode is about. We're going to be talking with Tristan Crawford from New York, Northern New York. And the title of this podcast is The Struggles of a Long Gun Season. And he basically voices his opinions about 
what his his uh, thoughts are, what his opinions are on having a long gun season in New York through the entire rut, through the breeding season, uh, lack of what I would say are, are mature deer, right? Because a lot of people say, what is a mature deer to you? Well, uh, in my area, a mature deer is a two-year-old or three-year-old. That's the wrong way to, to ask that question because through science, a mature deer is roughly a four-year-old. That's when, uh, it, from my understanding, the, the whitetail skeletal system stops growing and all of the energy then goes to like uh, cultivating mass, muscle mass, growing in size. But the skeletal system is done growing. So that deer doesn't get any bigger per se from the, from the skeletal system. It just gains weight. And so, uh, depending on, you know, the, the diet and what part of the, the region of the United States they're, they're from. But it's the same across all, the entire species, right? A mature, there's no such thing as a mature two-year-old. It, that might be the highest age class or the average age class in your area. But a two-year-old is not a mature buck. A three-year-old is not a mature buck. Uh, a four-year-old is, four-year-old and older are considered mature so and that's just that's just science at this point so um he talks about the lack of mature deer in his area the lack of even three-year-olds and he talks about how pretty much the deer herd just gets piss pounded throughout the entire gun season uh, we talk of, we talk about things like antler point restrictions we talk about uh, tag allocation we talk about uh, where else uh, reducing the number of tags that uh, residents can can get up there in New York and before everybody you know gets all fired up about you know what we discuss in in this it is an episode of opinions it is an episode where you have you know you can respond back to to myself in instagram or wherever you see this posted and say hey i, I like those types of rules and regulations which is it's 100 percent okay right and we talk about you know the the people who complain about there being no 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 big bucks or no good bucks are also the same people who shoot a, a four corn every year so they can get their 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 bucks right and so it's a very opinionated episode and i hope you guys understand that uh what i want you to do is to reach out to me uh on instagram let me know what state you hunt and then let me know what um if you're happy with the current rules and regulations certain states have gun you know a gun season during the rut certain states have um multiple uh, tags like in some states you can get like a buck tag five buck tags or something like that uh you can get as many doe tags as you want or just you know you can you can or there's states where you get one buck tag and it is e in either weapon type scenario so do me a favor reach out to me let me know what you think about the the rules and regulations in the state that you hunt and if you're happy with them also uh let's see do me a big favor I get guys reaching out to me all the time saying that the Nine Finger Chronicles has really impacted the way they hunt, whether it's by myself or by the guests that I have on sharing their information, but just a lot of learning that happens. Do me a favor and go to iTunes, leave a five-star review, and in the comments, let people know that not only is this podcast fun, but it's also entertaining. Uh, and so I just am really looking for, if you guys want to do me a big favor, go and make a comment somewhere, go leave a review on iTunes or wherever you download this podcast and let the people know that, Hey, this is a badass podcast. And, and I'm, I'm kind of biased, but man, I'll tell you this. I really do think that the nine finger chronicles and the sportsman's empire as a whole puts out some of the, if not the best, uh, hunting, hunting content out there period and so that's just me being me and uh let's get into commercials now i'm gonna make these quick today if you're looking for a badass saddle and saddle hunting accessories and climbing sticks go check out tethered uh, awesome products awesome people that work for them and then they have the content behind the product to uh, educate you on how to become a better saddle hunter go check out tethered's website wasparchery.com if you are looking for 
Uh, a majority of their heads, not all of their heads, but a majority of their heads are still made in America. Some of the best design, some of the best material possible. So if you're looking for a badass mechanical, if you're looking for a badass fixed blade, go check out wasparchery.com. I do have a discount code. This would be a great stocking stuffer idea. And that's 20% off NFC20, NFC20. And then what else do we got? We have Hunt Stand, uh, one of, in my opinion, one of the best uh, hunting apps out there as far as functionality is concerned, what you can actually do. Do me a favor, go to HuntStand.com, read up on all the functionality, and also read up on their new Pro Whitetail upgrade package that they have. If you're a serious whitetail hunter, this is the package for you. Uh, I've played around with it now for a while, and I, I really do th feel that it, it has uh, a benefit to all the whitetail hunters out there. So go check it out. And then last but not least, the whole crew over at Vortex. Uh, you know, if you're if you're looking for a a new set of optics, whether that is a binocular or a spotting scope or a range finder or a rifle scope or a red dot. Man, in my opinion, there's only one, and that is Vortex. And the reason why I say that is because I know the people that work there. They're, they are serious about hunting. They're serious about shooting sports. And they're serious, and this is probably the most important, about the end user having an experience with Vortex Optics that creates return customers and return customers and, and and that's why they do what they do they are superior in in all of those things so go check out vortexoptics.com and uh, take a look at their new crossfire hd 1400 rangefinder uh, i picked it up this year and it's badass so go check that out last but not least man uh i i always kind of save this to the end of the the podcast but if you are struggling this year with locating deer man I'm sending good vibes to you. You may just have to work a little bit harder, right? I can't, I can't, you know, send deer your way, but when, whenever there is an obstacle in front of you, you have to try to find a way to solve it. And that might mean hunting a little more, hunting in a different way, throwing a curveball, and just saying, screw it, I'm going, I'm going in deep today, or hell, you know what, I'm going to throw a curveball and I'm going to hunt right next to the road, or whatever the scenario would be. You have to think outside the box to try to get the job done. But what I can tell you is that I am throwing good vibes your way, right? And so I hope you get them. A lot of, there is a lot of season left uh, this year, so hopefully everybody can take advantage of that. And then I think that we are done with the intro. Have a good rest of your day. Enjoy this episode. And again, let me know what you think about your uh, state's rules and regulations. Three, two, one. All right. All the way from Northern New York, Mr. Tristan Crawford. Tristan, what's up, man? Hey, how you doing, Dan? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. Uh, how's your season going so far? Uh, it's off to an okay start. Um, you know, our, our bow season kicks in here September 27th and, uh, I had cameras out uh, on a new piece of public that I found here in northern New York and had a lot of good bucks on camera. Um, and I've had one narrowed down, and I've, I've had them close about four times. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, uh, it's the season. It's the season. I, I don't know. Like at, at this point, I'm glad I tagged out early um, because I've just been hearing a lot of guys talk about this year just being different from a just like a weird rut it just like it never really just took off and i'm glad i tagged out when i did in kind of a pre-rut the the herd was in kind of a pre-rut uh, what have you been hearing in in northern new york about that rut and and things like that um you know a few guys that i know down uh, southern New York, uh, closer to Pennsylvania, they did see some some decent rut chasing action. Um, up here where I am, I, I really didn't see it. Um, with the weather and, and stuff, the way things played out, I, I thought it was, we had a couple good cold fronts there, end of October, beginning of November, that would really help us out, but I, I didn't see the chasing that I thought I would see. Yeah, okay. Now, um, 
Before we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode, though, I do have to ask you the the, the question that I always ask everybody, and that is, uh, what part of, so you live in northern New York, around, yep. you know, what town, and then, um, and then what do you do for a living, man? Um, so I live right on the east end of Lake Ontario. Um, I'm from a small town called Pulaski, New York. Okay. Um, we, I guess they, they, they cloned it or they got the name, uh, you know, salmon fishing capital, um, of the East coast. Um, we have a huge salmon fishing industry, brown trout industry. Um, and I've always wanted to work in the outdoors. So recently I just acquired a position for New York state parks and recreation. And that's what I do for a living. What, what specifically is that, uh, is your job? What do you do for, for them? Uh, so I take care of uh, a park, one of the newest uh, New York State parks, right on the east end of Lake Ontario, um, and I mow all the trails. I, I'm a basically a glorified maintenance guy. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, man, I'll tell you this. I always, my dad, when I was younger, used to take us to a lot of state parks all over Iowa um, and Wisconsin, Minnesota, Illinois, even into Missouri sometimes, and man, like I always wanted to be the guy like working on the trails, putting in the railroad ties as steps. Um, you know, I didn't care if I was cleaning the bathrooms, but that just sounded fun to me. Yeah, it, I definitely do my share of cleaning the bathrooms there, um, <laughs> yeah. but honestly, it's a labor of love. I've had a lot more higher paying jobs Yeah, and uh, I'm a hundred percent more happy at where I oh, am now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that makes my work so much more enjoyable. Oh, dude, absolutely. You know, I and I, I don't know. I, I've been in those positions before where you think, hey, dude, I'm, I'm making really good money. And then <laughs> it's just like, I, I hate every second of being here. <laughs> every second of being here. So, dude, I, made, I feel you. I made great money in 2017 uh, and 18. I worked in the oil field, Ohio, oh, okay. West Virginia. And uh, I hated every second of traveling, being away from my family. Uh, great experience. It got me a little nest egg saved up, so I, I started a small business on on the side that, from what I do now, and you know that that helped out. But I I just this is this is where it's at. <laughs> yeah. Is okay. So the town that you live in has a a trout or a salmon industry. Yeah. Is isn't maybe I'm thinking of a different. Uh, Great Lake, but isn't Lake Ontario also known for like good walleye fishing? Uh, we have awesome walleye fishing, um, and uh, that's that's a huge part of it here. As far as uh, when ice season comes in, mm. uh, we have what's called the Golden Crescent, and uh, that's the upper end of the east of Lake Ontario, um, and it runs all the way up into Canada, Bay of Quinney. Um, we get large walleyes anywhere from, you know, 28 to 35 inches, 10 pounds to 15 pounds. Dang. Dang. Out of yep. the ice. On ice. Yep. On ice. Yeah. Okay. Man, that's awesome. Um, I don't know, man. I, I love walleye. I love to eat walleye. Um, sometimes, oh. sometimes fishing for them isn't like fishing for a bass, right? Where no. you're pretty active uh, a lot of the time, but uh, uh, up in the north end of I, northeast Iowa along the Mississippi River. My father-in-law, uh, he knows all the good spots, and we will we'll go walleye fishing, but we'll use crankbaits or some yeah. kind of some kind of jig, and and we'll just be continuously casting, not uh, trolling for them like a lot of people do. We do a we do a lot of that uh, springtime, fall. We, we can you can cast uh, crankbaits and, and stick baits from shore here, yeah, and catch them. Gotcha. Cool. Cool. Yeah. All right, so here's a here's a topic that I I hear a lot and I'm blessed in my opinion because the rut for the most part is over in Iowa. It's roughly the first week of December every year and we have our first shotgun season. That's when the pressure just lands on Iowa. People are driving, doing deer drives, shotguns are out, the the orange army hits and they trample it for, you know, they, they go and do their thing for roughly three weeks in a row um, right. here in Iowa. 
And it sounds to me like the, what did I say before we started recording? Uh, how did, how was I going to describe like the struggles yeah. of a really long gun season in, in New York? So that's kind of what I want to talk about a little bit today is that how long is the gun season in New York? Um, so our gun season kicks off this year, kicked off October 22nd. And it runs all the way until December fourth. Okay, here in the, here. Um, so the entire month of November, the entire breeding season is gun is gun season. Correct. Other than the southern tier, which which is um, it's about hour. Well, I would say forty minutes south of me is where the line is. Okay. Um, and their gun season doesn't open until November nineteenth. Okay. Why Why is that? Um, I honestly. I haven't dove too much into looking to see why that is. Yeah. Um, that's some research that I'm definitely going to have to dig into. Yeah. I um, wonder, I wonder if it's because isn't Southern New York more open than Northern uh, New York? Yeah, there is. It's, it's definitely more open. Um, when you get South of me, there's a lot more, uh, bigger ag, I would say. Yeah. I mean, we have big ag up here in the northern tier but i would say there's more vast um open spaces down there they also have a lot of rolling hills and stuff down there gotcha so maybe that's why if it's if it's more of an open terrain they need less time i don't know they're they they're maybe their assumption is okay you can see further there's you can see more deer you're gonna have the opportunity to shoot more deer down there think it has to do with deer density as well um i don't think we have the deer density up here in the northern tiers they do in the southern tier okay so maybe they think longer gun season up here will help people get more deer yeah which you would think that if they're (laughs) like from a from a replenishing of a natural resource standpoint you would think that if they don't have the the deer density up there the the way i look at it is the gun season should be shorter. Right. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, so, the, so there's more deer. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Or, or change or like the amount of tags that are allocated. I don't know how many, yeah. how many deer tags in, in Northern New York can you get every single year? So you, you start, well, let me pull out my little wallet here and I got all my stuff in it. Um, you start out uh, with your archery. You can get your archery tag. That gets you a um, antlerless archery tag. If you buy your muzzleloader with that, you get an uh, either sex tag. Okay. So you have one antlerless bow tag and uh, or bow muzzleloader tag, and then you'll have a either sex bow muzzleloader tag. Um, then you'll have your regular season buck tag. Then you get two um, choices of doe tags. Um, for the wildlife management unit that you you choose, um, I chose two different ones this year, and I only got one of them. So that I mean, if you got both, you would start out the season with five tags. Um, then I think when November tenth hits, there's a second chance doe permit. Okay. So you get all the leftover ones, and I ended up selecting two units that are hour hour and a half south of me, and I got both of those. So that is that a gun tag or is that a any weapon tag any weapon tag okay i gotcha yeah in iowa here let's see it's all based off of county so the county that i live in number one it's a higher population so the doe tag quota goes really fast all right so i can get my my one statewide tag buck my buck tag or they call it a, it's an any sex tag but that's my buck tag and so i get that guaranteed as a resident then um i gotta be the in my county i gotta be the i gotta do it quick because the the doe tags in this county go really fast and so i gotta i gotta be on point this year i spaced and i didn't get one for this county but i Mm -hmm. did get two for my home my old home county and a, a different county uh where i shot my buck this year so then from a doe standpoint in in the archery 
or in yeah in archery and uh, the shotgun, it's a quota. So let's just say, okay, uh, this county, the quota is 5,000 does or 1,000 does or 800 does or whatever it is. So you can get your any sex tag and then you can you can buy as many doe tags as you want until they're sold out. And then they wow. don't let you. They don't let you have any. And then so in some counties, there they there's so many doe tags left over that they allow for a like you can get your your shotgun tag or you can get a a, a late season uh, which which I call it's a it's a late season muzzleloader, but I call it a primitive weapon tag because yep. the it is a, a muzzleloader, a bow, or a crossbow, and those are all three legal weapons or and now it's uh uh during the shotgun season now you can use a straight walled uh rifle uh uh, rifle as well in during the shotgun season but um then if there's a lot of leftover tags in in said county then they'll have an antlerless uh an antlerless rifle season uh or gun season that you can shoot uh, pretty much whatever weapon you want uh, if there's any allocated over so like so the tags are available there right the the issue that i feel like and and this is when you reached out to me you hear you said you hear a a lot of people complaining about the quality of the deer in northern new york like walk us through what you mean by that um I belong to a, a, quite a few New York uh, hunting groups on Facebook. I just keep an eye out. And, you know, it, you see a lot of the guys that shoot the, the smaller bucks, which there's nothing wrong with shooting a smaller buck. Yeah. If, if, if it gets your, gets you going, pull the trigger, you know. And yep. and I can't be happy for the guys that, that do shoot what they're happy with. But you see a lot of the guys say, you know, keep shooting all these small bucks. You're never going to have big bucks. And um, I just – I don't – I mean, I do see the – their validation in, in saying that, but I also don't think that it it really would impact it as big as having a shorter gun season. Yeah. Um, I think the quality of our deer would go up. I mean, if you go Southwest of here, heading towards Pennsylvania, um, even with that shorter, I mean, you see bucks down in those counties, average from a hundred inches to 140 inches where up here you're going to see deer from 50 to a hundred inches. If you see one over a hundred inches, you're doing something right. Yeah. And so you, you feel that there's a direct correlation with the length of your gun season and the lack in quality of, of deer. Right. Of your, now when you say quality, um, does that mean quality of Quant- bucks and qu- and quantity of deer? Yeah, I would say we have the deer density. I just don't. It depends on obviously food and and weather and for antler growth. But I just think the gun season's so long; it gives everybody a chance to go out and just shoot whatever. Yeah. Um, rather than savoring that tag and, and holding on to it and holding out for, for a nice buck. Yeah. Yeah. This, this all comes down. I mean, I, I hear guys in Michigan talk about this. I hear guys in Pennsylvania talk about this. I hear guys from, I, I mean, even in some of the Southeastern States where, man, I don't know if it's, I think it's South Carolina or North Carolina. I can't really remember, but they have a gun season from October all the way into February, I believe it is, or so, something crazy like that. It's one of those Southern states. And, I, and I'm just like, holy cow. Number one, how do you have a, a, a deer herd that can sustain that, that, <laughs> that pressure, right? So that there's maybe like one deer that makes it through every single year and, and, and breeds, you know, but you know, they, they obviously want, they they want the hunter to be successful, right? Right. So how do you think, like, if you were in charge, for say, and again, we have to realize that this is your personal opinion on yeah. on this scenario. What what do you think 
needs to be done to relieve I don't know I don't know like so what's your gripe first off we uh, got to know what your gripe is and then how would you fix it um my my gripe um god not sure how I would how I would say my gripe. I, I just think a shorter uh, if we took the gun season out of the rut and pushed it back a little bit further <coughs> excuse me um I think that would give a chance for a lot of those bigger bucks and and better genetic bucks to breed does um, and have that better, you know, better quality. I think it would give them a little bit more time to do what they they naturally have to do. Um, And I just, I kind of relate things coming back to New York. I I hunted Ohio for a while and uh, just going there during the first, you know, the first week of November and seeing 10, 120 inch bucks in the first day. Yeah really just opened my eyes to there's got to be something to this and then looking at all the other midwest states and the stuff that they have implicated over the years it just makes sense yeah Uh, it just makes sense to to not have such a long gun season yeah to me i think more doe tags would be i I shouldn't say more i mean we get on quite a few now um but I think playing playing with that, I won't say say we should be a one buck state, but I, I think it would help. Um, antler restriction might help. Maybe three point on one side. Mm-hmm. I, I hear some about that back and forth. Yeah, yeah. So when I hear some somebody like this, and obviously, man, when it comes to managing the state, I live in. I I, I do. I live in the best state. Right. Yeah. There's no there's no gun season during the rut. It allows the deer to breed. Right. It allows um, it, it's hard for non-residents to get into this state. Uh, another big bonus for mm-hmm. the quality of the number of tags that are allocated um, the and which lets the not just the bucks, but all the entire deer herd get to an older age class period. All, all deer do. Um, and so older age class means bigger bucks. And ultimately that's what people are interested in. Right. I mean, let's not joke around. I mean, the reason people bitch the most is because there's no quote unquote big bucks in, and I'm just going to use Northern New York, which is why Mm -hmm. we're kind of having this conversation. So how do you then talk to an entire region and say, man, like if you want big bucks, don't shoot little deer during the gun season. Don't shoot little bucks. If you want to shoot a deer, shoot a doe. And, and this is the age old co- uh, conversation that I have had since the first week of uh, my of my podcast. And I, talking to people from Michigan who just hate everything about the the how the deer are managed in their state. Yet they will go out and they will shoot during the gun season a, a spike buck or a, a four corn buck right so so how do you communicate with those people and tell them i mean tell them to lay off shooting small deer um i just start i would definitely start off with i have done it i have been there i've shot little bucks um i would say in the last six seven years i've gotten really serious about trying to get something of more age class yeah. Um, the thing I would say to them is something that I practice. Uh, I've been practicing for the last seven, eight years since I got serious was they give us doe tags and your antlerless tags in the beginning of the season. If you want meat, fill your doe tags. Yeah. Um, if you're trigger happy and you want to get knock the rust off, go out and shoot a couple does and and fill your freezer and then wait. You know hold out, do your scouting, all your, your research to find that buck you're after and put the time in. Yeah. You have nothing, nothing to really wait for. I mean, you got meat in the freezer and you got a buck tag in your pocket. So, yeah. And so now I got a buck tag in my pocket. It's the rut. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, a four corn or a basket rack steps out, maybe like a six pointer or something. 
and and this is my only opportunity at a deer with antlers this year. How are you talking to that guy who and saying, hey, dude, uh, don't shoot that buck. Um, Let him get older and then shoot him the next year. Like, how, how do you do that to an entire mass of people who every time we start talking, having this conversation, um, there's always resistance from a said group of people about how you're taking this rights or time in the woods away from them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely get that. I understand that we all don't have every single day to sit in the woods. Right. Um, I don't, I'm blessed with the job that I have. I can get out of work and just hop in the, in the land, you know, that, yeah. that we have state park and I can just hop right in there every day after work if I want. And I get some guys get five days, six, seven, eight days a year to hunt. And, uh, if that's all you have, and if that's what you're happy with, then I would say shoot it. But I think if you're really trying to, to shoot something of a better age class, you have that second chance doe the doe permits uh get those drive a little bit and and go fill some doe tags um if you're just hunting for bone then then don't be upset when you shoot a four point you know uh yeah and really what it comes down to is if you're going to shoot a small deer do not and 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 small deer is different in every state right the term big right. buck or small buck or or good deer whatever that's different for every state okay so in in terms of the you know northern new york what we're talking about um like if you're gonna shoot a small deer don't bitch that there's no good deer around you're part of the problem and then at that point when people do that I, i just don't even listen to them anymore i don't take i don't take what they're saying seriously because they're not practicing what they preach and so, yep. you know, it's just, it's just a, a circle conversation. And until hunters and the, the hunting community bands together and then has a conversation with the state agencies and says, we want these changes or we want better quality bucks. Here's what we want out of this, this meeting. And this is what we feel needs to change. And that may be re- reduction of the gun season or maybe only a gun season from the the second half of November, like the rest of the, you know, the southern tier of the state, you know, from the 15th mm-hmm. on or whatever it is. And that, that can be that can be our baby step. Or let's let's try uh, doing an antler point restriction in a certain in a certain unit just as a test. And then we can show the rest of the counties in northern New York that, hey, man, we implemented an antler point restriction. Guys were still able to shoot their does, have their fill their freezers. And then you take that information four years out, three years out. And now we're starting to see some really good three year olds. And some yep. really good bucks coming out of out of these. And I've talked with guys in Michigan who have who used to bitch about and, and they this is self admitted, they used to bitch about the antler point restriction, but then they saw it in practice and they're like, dude, I'm telling you right now, it works one hundred percent. Antler point mm-hmm. restrictions work in in the quality. And so um I don't know, man. I don't know if there is an answer to this, but yeah. the uh, this is my opinion. I feel that hunters need to unite under a goal, approach the state agency and say, this is what we want or this is what we would like. And then you have to be able to compromise in that conversation. And so, yeah. man, we're talking, we're talking uh, one of the oldest conversations. <laughs> it's just difficult. It just boils down to you need to be part of the solution and not the problem. Right, right. And and then you have guys out there who are saying, well, this isn't even a problem for me. Right. Right. I, I, I can go out and I can enjoy my hunting season. I can go I can go rifle hunt in October when it's nice out. And I can go uh, rifle hunt November when the rut's on. And I can go and hunt with a rifle when it's, you know, when it's not. And so you you start changing those things someone's going to get upset yep right we have the potential for great deer in new york i see it all the time on private you know big tracks you know 140 150 160 yep. class yep yep I'll, I'll tell you this you take 
you take a state like Minnesota or Wisconsin and you give those two states the same restrictions as Iowa and you're talking about because there's just way more cover in Wisconsin and uh, Minnesota than there there is in uh, and probably even Michigan, right? We'll, I'll throw Michigan into that. Mm-hmm. There's way more cover in the in those three states than there is in Iowa, and so if if I'm going to sit here and do an analysis on why Iowa's so great and and why other states are not as great, right? Wisconsin every year still there's hammers. There's just giants that come out of every, you know, all those states in retrospect, but not the quantity that, right. you know, Iowa provides. So you take those those uh, rules and regulations, you apply them to those states, and Iowa just is now nothing compared to those states. They become so much greater in, in as far as the caliber of big bucks, if that's the the end goal here, and uh, just a, a quality deer herd, and so uh, I don't know, man. I it, it's but it but those conversations happen all the time. Group a, a who supports it gets in direct conflict with Group B who does not support it, and then nothing ever happens because nobody can can communicate and they argue about certain rights being taken away or I, you know, I want this versus I don't want that. And, and everybody bitches. Right. And so, um, I don't know, man, I, I, I just, it's, it's a tough conversation to have because I don't know if there's a right answer. Right. And I, I think New York's starting to take the steps, um, in the last five, six years, they, they definitely put out, uh, little, like some literature and some stuff on their website, um, about let them go and let them grow. Yeah. That yeah. kind of took off. You know, I see people kind of like, hmm, think about it. But you still see the same old trend. Yeah. Um, but it, I think people are starting to get the idea a little more because we definitely see a lot better bucks coming from New York. Yeah. Um, but like you said, it's the age-old question. <laughs> do, you, do you think there are more people who would support uh, antler point restrictions or uh, a limited gun season through November, there's more or less people that would support that, those things. That's tough. Uh, tough to answer, but I, I think all in all, I think people would be more supportive of it uh, once they saw it within the first couple of years of, or, or, you know, let's give it three years of, antler point restriction i think they would see the the benefit of it benefit of it and yeah yeah it would take long. it would what i said it wouldn't take long yeah but i, I two I years think that they, yeah two years i i would i would assume i don't know man uh that's a that's a tough question so um let's talk a little bit about do, are you a do you hunt private or public um both so i grew up hunting private okay um got my first year when i was 12 on private um and then once i hit about 18 19 um the farm kind of dissipated a little bit they they sold ended up selling the farm um so went straight right to public and we have quite a bit of public around me yeah and yeah. uh yeah so let me ask you this um from a from a pressure standpoint, right? Here's here's how uh, certain states are. They have a, a gun season during the rut, right? But it's only a week long or, or a week and a half long or something, maybe two weeks, right? Um, I can't remember what states they are, but it everybody goes out, right? It's just for two straight weeks, it's hammered. That's what I. That's what happens in Iowa, right? So first season and second season shotgun. Those are the two shotgun seasons, and. The and this is just from the property that I have the most experience with. It is hammered for three weeks, three weekends, three you know three straight weeks. Even during the week, there's certain years where my trail cameras will show every evening and every morning they do a deer drive on that piece. And no wonder why I never find sheds on the on these properties, right? Because there's no deer on the property at the end of the season. So. From a from 
a pressure standpoint, with it being such a, a long gun season, is there the massive amount of pressure all through the gun season, or is it spread out more? No, I would say that it's like a like an S-shaped bell curve. So the first week, it's going to be a lot of people in the woods of gun season. It's going to step off through mid-October. Once end of October, November 1st hits, then you're going to see everybody in the woods for the next two weeks. Um, hardcore, and then you'll see it kind of fall off again. Yeah. Uh, okay, so it falls off, then the rut hits, right? And then everybody's in the woods again. Yep. Right. And then uh, after the rut trickles up, people are using their their vacation up. Then they they slowly trickle back out of it. Yep. Okay. All right. So, uh, are you a bow hunter? Yeah. Do you, do you rifle hunt at all during that gun season? Yes. Okay. Uh, when do you spend most of your time rifle hunting? Um, I will spend most of my time rifle hunting from October 31st to, I would say November 14th. Okay. November. All right. And so when, then when do you spend most of your time bow hunting? Um, opening day, uh, which is the 27th. Um, and then there's a few bow only zones that I like to hunt and those open up around the 20th of November. Okay. And, uh, that's from then on is when I like to really do a lot of my archery. Gotcha. Um, if it gets towards the end of the season and I, and I don't have, uh, any meat in the freezer, I will take the rifle out and get a couple does or something. But yeah. So why do you rifle hunt in early November when you could bow hunt? Um, I don't have private land right now. Okay. Uh, I hunt only public. Um, and it just, I think it just gives me just a little bit better of a reach advantage. Gotcha. Um, as if the, the buck comes by, I mean, the, the land I hunt isn't super pressured, the piece of public, but there's five, six, seven, eight guys that hunted along with me. And if you got a chance, you might as well take it at a nice buck, you know? Yep. Absolutely. All right. So, yep. so now I want to talk about that, that pressure, that early pressure, uh, you know, first two weeks of the season and then the rut you know, the two weeks of the rut, whatever. Um, what are we talking about when it comes to pressure? Because I, I last week, uh, which would have been, you know, we're recording it this week, but earlier this week I had a conversation with a, uh, a buddy who was like, dude, 14, 14 cars in a, at a, at a stop uh, or at a parking spot. That's pressure, right? Whatever. Or, you know, at a trailhead or whatever the, the scenario is. Um, define what your pressure is where where you hunt. So we'll go off the one piece that I hunt, and it's about 1,100 acres. And there's three separate access points. Um, I know when the first day of rifle season hit, there was five cars in the, in the first lot, three in, in the second, and there was like two or three in, in the uh, third. And that was just way too much pressure for me. Yeah. So I, I didn't even hunt that day. Yeah. So, so how many total guys do you think were in that 1100 acres? Uh, probably 14, 14 or 15 guys. Okay. Uh, 14 or 15 guys in 1100 acres. That's, that's a lot of guys in, uh, <laughs> in, in that piece. How do you even get into a piece like that and, a not run into someone and B find a spot that you feel like I just feel like all the good spots. So you have 1100 acres, but really it's less than that because certain terrain features, there's certain places where people just won't hunt. Right. And so you take that acreage and you, you shrink it down a little bit. Um, like how do you, how do you deal with that? Because I'll be honest, I've never, I've I've had hunting pressure before, but not so much so where I could potentially see someone in a tree stand from one of my tree stands. Right. Um, so basically, when I I pulled up to the lot, the the actual day that I did hunt, there was four cars in in the lot, and I kind of just you just got to push push by them, 
yeah. know that you're going to go further than them. Um, not necessarily you have to go the deepest because a lot of times, you know, those bucks will sit right by the parking lot and watch you. But I, I hunt probably out of that 1100 acres. I probably hunt a 12 acre piece, 12 acres. And I did that by just running trail cameras early in the season. Yeah. And I, I definitely took them down before gun season hit because there is a theft problem in there. And, uh, but just narrowing it down and then finding the sign. And that's what led me to that little 12 acre spot that I haven't seen a person in there yet. Okay. And uh, I think that's just, you got to go where the deer know that they're safe. Yeah. There's those little key spots. <laughs> How does a deer know it's safe in an 1100 <laughs> acres with 1500s on it? Like ain't nothing safe. At, at, no, at that ratio i have no clue um this buck that i'm on actually uh he's three and a half or four i i'm not really sure yeah probably have you take a look at the picture i have but uh he's probably 125 130 inch eight point and uh, which is a great buck for new york oh yeah and he knows he's safe there i you know bow season i was just walking uh walking to check out a, a new spot I had my bow in my hand i look off to my right and in a little clearing about 70 yards away i could see a rack sticking up so i kind of like backed up a little bit and he ended up getting my wind he just stood up and, and walked off yeah but, yep all right so with that much pressure and you've you've located this deer talk to me about like how you're approaching uh, approaching that because Deer get used, and this is, again, my opinion, but deer get used to cycles, right? They will know when something's coming in. They will know when something's leaving. And so if they're back in the, if they're, you know, if if people start coming in at the same time every day, deer will get used to that. If people start leaving after dark every day, deer will get used to that. And my assumption is, is that they will literally just straight hold up until people leave and then at night they'll come out to wherever they're going to go. Right. What are, in your opinion on this, on this piece of really heavily pressured property, what are the deer doing when there's that much of pressure applied, applied to them? So I would say there's a lot of hunting pressure applied to them. Um, but throughout the year, this being a state park, all the trails are mowed. Mm -hmm. Um, constantly have people walking, walking their dogs, riding their mountain bikes, um, just recreating out there. So I think the deer are fairly used to people using the trails. What they're not used to is seeing somebody up in a tree off of the trail. Yeah. Entrance and huge. Obviously, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've done more than one occasion. I've, I've walked in with someone walking their dog and just cut off. Yeah. Uh, from them you know yeah. and uh in deer no i mean the first night there i saw 31 does dang so they're there they're there yeah okay so here's here's the the thing though almost i would feel that when when you're hunting a state park like that the constant pressure throughout the year is or i, w- I don't even want to say pressure because even some of the best private highly managed public or private ground in Iowa or all these farms on TV, it has consistent and constant, if you want to call it pressure, but at some point it doesn't become pressure. It becomes activity because the deer get used to it and they're conditioned to not be afraid of it. Do you think that because there is a lot of human activity through, you know, guys walking, guys and gals walking dogs and, and hiking and running and biking and, and just being a state park that the deer herd is used to human intrusion. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely are. I, I can see it even when walking in, you know, I, I walk on a, a mode path for probably a mile before I get to where I want to cut off into the woods. And I've had deer stones throw from me and they just look at you if you're walking normal yeah yeah and 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 so so at that point then that makes this 
particular piece seemed just a little bit more attractive other than a, a normal piece of state ground that's not a state park and just right. gets all of a sudden a light switch turns on and 50 gun hunters are hitting it at one time, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so, you, so you're able to still get away with a little bit of something. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. So focused on in the last five, six years is finding those pieces of public that people like to recreate in Yep. and have good cover because I know the deer are somewhat used to people and, and smelling people. And yeah, a lot, that. a lot of times in state parks, here's what I've seen. Um, I don't know if it's like state parks and then, uh, wildlife management areas are managed two different ways, right? Cause there's a state park, um, that I go to where hunting is allowed, but it's managed to look beautiful. Um, big open timber, right? There's not like, it, they're not doing hinge cutting to promote, you know, deer bedding or anything like that. They've cleared out a lot of it. Uh, so you, you know, cleared the trails, cleared all the brush out and made it look beautiful for people to come and enjoy being outside as opposed to down the road from me, there's a wildlife management area that they do the hinge cutting, the food plotting. They, they, they promote nasty thickets to try to, you know, for pheasant habitat, for turkey habitat, for um, all like songbirds and, and things like that. So, so does that then make it tough for you on, access or trying to actually find some kind of edge where deer movement is uh as far as the the unprepped or the unactive public i i, I would the, say the state the the places because you said you're looking for thick cover where there's high traffic of right. hikers and stuff so are you able to find a lot of that in that state park yeah, I am. This okay. The the good. Well, the, I should say the good. The hard and good part about this park is there's not very much hardwoods. There's a strip of of hardwood that's got some oaks and stuff mixed in. A lot of it's shagbark hickory, um, but most of it's all thick bedding throughout the whole park. I mean, it's that thumb size tag alder brush, and and there's thick swallowwort. Um, tall greenery and it's just everywhere throughout there so when you find sign that's generally one of the areas they like to spend time yeah so just i that's what i focus my time on is those thick areas with with sign on the outside of it gotcha do you ever get uh interrupted well i mean and i don't necessarily mean interrupted um how do i put this where someone's coming in and, oh, look, hey, how are you doing up there? What are you doing? Do you ever ha- have any scenarios where you're in a tree, some hikers come by, and then deer are still moving through because they're used to that those hikers? Yeah, so funny story. Uh, I think this was 2017 or 16. Um, I was after a really good buck in this bow-only um, portion of a state park. Um, he's probably the biggest buck that i've seen in new york um at that time he was probably 150 inch um nine point and i was in this thick spot and i was only 50 yards from the trail but i mean he was he was using that he was going in front of my camera all the time and i'm sitting there and i could hear what sounded like a tyrannosaurus rex (laughs) down the trail and i look and there's a woman riding a Clydesdale size horse down <laughs> just full gallop and uh she comes blowing by me doesn't even see me or anything and uh I'm like holy crap my this is over with you know my hunt's ruined and I start to put stuff in my bag and uh, I turn around to to grab my bow rope to pull it up and I look and here comes a little basket basket rack six point and he's right on the same path as that lady with the horse hadn't didn't even care so i sat back down and sure enough that that buck came in that night that big buck and uh he was 60 yards i I had no shot but i watched him for 20 minutes in there just feed his way through man and that's great that's great i wish uh some of the farms that i hunt had uh 
that's how deer reacted on some of the farms that I hunt. But instead, they see a truck drive up, gone. They see a dog run through, gone. They see <laughs> people checking cattle, gone, right? And so uh, I hunt on a farm that has somewhat consistent, but it's the deer just, I don't know, they they must get pestered. There's something that I, I, I'm not picking up because they are – on the one farm, man, just over the, the past couple of years, they've just gotten jumpy, like really jumpy. And I can remember being, this is no joke. I can remember when I first started hunting that farm, uh, just, I think there was one other guy, maybe two other guys who hunted it. They didn't hunt it a lot. So I would walk a field edge coming in. There'd be deer already out in the field. They would just stand there and watch me, watch me climb up to my tree stand and then forget about me and then walk by me later. Right. And, and I'm just like, what? It's this easy. And so, uh, and so that's not happening anymore. So I wish I had a little bit of that state park pressure, <laughs> state, state park deer herd. No. Yeah. I, I, I miss hunting private, um, where, where I did hunt. It was, it was big. It was 500 acre farm, which is, I guess, pretty big for here. And, uh, it was great hunting, but we would see big bucks, but they were very sketchy all the time. Um, but I, I can't take away anything that I've learned from hunting public in the last 10 years. Yeah. Um, just learned so much more by watching these deer that aren't used to seeing, or well, they're used to seeing people and they're not used to seeing people. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny how if, uh, someone wearing a, uh, a bright blue talking or listening to the radio, chatting with their buddies, walk through, um, how that type of pressure they'll 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 identify it, but they won't. How do I put this? They won't be spooked by it. But you come creeping through the woods and set something up, and they're just like, uh, uh-uh, uh, Audi. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's uh, I don't know. I I feel like I'm going to talk to you a little bit about my experience here uh, this year. I used an e-bike. You know, it's obviously louder from a noise standpoint than me walking in, but it's gradual. I feel like you can hear, you can hear the noise coming, it gets louder and then it goes away again. You know what I mean? And so I was able to use that this year. And I think that almost like you hear guys talk about how their wife or their dad or friend drives a truck right up to their tree stand every day or four wheeler and then splits and then comes back and gets them in the evening. And they're used to that or, or they're not afraid of that. But the second someone's walking vertical in any terrain, they get spooked. Yep. I noticed that I, I did. I don't have an e-bike, but I did once I figured out that I was going to hunt this park and I seen how vast it was and how big the trails were. I went out and I just jumped on like Facebook marketplace or something and, and found a, a mountain bike. And, uh, I just kind of turned it into my little hunting bike and put a rack on it. And it's definitely, I've seen way more deer doing this. I think it's that cadence of your steps. Yeah. They recognize that and they're like, Nope, I don't think I like that. Yeah. But that great constant sound, they're not, they're not worried about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, pressure comes in all, all shapes and sizes. And, and, uh, I, I always hear guys complain about, like I haven't heard you say it yet, but I, cause I think you understand, you get it, but you hear about guys or you hear guys say, Oh, there's just so much damn pressure. I'm like, well, dude, you're part of it. Right. So, right. so people who complain about pressure or bitch about pressure and then go out and do the exact same thing that everybody else is doing. Well, that's pressure too, man. So, uh, just you have to you have to learn how to hunt around it and and, and be smart about access routes and, and things like that. So, um, so have so far this year, have you been able to connect on uh, connect on any deer? Yeah, so I did get a uh, doe uh, during bow season and muzzleloader season opened. Um, I wasn't really seeing the sign that I wanted in the park. Yep. I think that fifteenth. I didn't see the sign that I was really looking for or know that he was really in the area or using it. So I, I went out and I ended up harvesting another doe with my muzzleloader. Yep. I got two deer in the freezer and, uh, I've been, I've been after that, 
that buck he's pretty much just the focus of my time um yeah. lately <laughs> yeah um and i like i said for i've had him four times twice during bow season and twice during gun during the, the rut and uh i just couldn't seal the deal on him he was just in some thick stuff but yeah yeah <laughs> getting closer you think i'm so I'm, I'm going back in after we get off our call here and uh i'm gonna head back in there we got some fresh snow in the last three days nice uh, a lot of it actually um just north of me got about 70 inches dang that's what i was gonna ask i was gonna ask about that lake effect snow um so you're you're not how far are you from the lake uh right now i'm about 15 minutes 15 minutes from the lake and so uh, so you're you just miss like that belt that comes through every time when you have that big lake effect snow. we're in, we're actually in it but i think early this early in the season with that lake effect i think the lake was warm enough that it doesn't really pile up until it gets further inland gotcha gotcha um, so, so it kind of almost goes over you a little bit yeah we're definitely in the snow belt though we get anywhere from 300 to 450 inches of snow a year jesus what they say <laughs> That's record record high, but we're gonna see yeah. at least two hundred inches this year. Dang, man. man! Melts and comes back and melts and comes back. And- yeah, I can remember. Man, it wasn't last year, not last year, but the year before. I think I, I just felt like every day I was out scooping my driveway, and yeah. or, you know, and uh, there was some pretty major pileage on the side of my driveway from you know all the snow. And luckily, my neighbor helps me. He's got a four wheeler with a plow on the front of it, so he helps me uh, go and uh, plow my driveway. But uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, man. Snow is awesome, but yeah. not when you have to shovel your driveway. So, yeah, so here when lake effect storms come, we don't count in inches an hour. We count in feet an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, well, hey, man, it sounds like you're you're going to go head back out and try to make something happen tonight. Uh, so I'm going to let you go. Good luck. Oh. Get it done. And then pre- uh, call me or text me later with a message or through, through Instagram saying, dude, I did it. And uh, uh, so I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come on and, and chat with us a little bit. And good luck, man. I appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much. And uh, congratulations on uh, your deer this year. And there you have it. Another episode in the books. Huge shout out to Tristan. Huge shout out to Tethered, Wasp, HuntStand, and Vortex. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. Last but not least, good vibes in, good vibes out. Wear your damn safety harness. We will talk to you next time.